0: I wanna take a special moment with the children. I'm happy to see some children here this morning and I know there are many of you at home and I hope you'll move just a little bit closer to your screens and share with all of us just a moment that's especially for you. When I was about 22, I moved to a big city, Washington DC. I had two friends who were there but other than that, I didn't know anybody. And after I'd been living there for just a little while, something sort of sad happened in my life It made me pretty sad. And so I woke up on a Sunday morning and decided I wanted to go to church. I had kind of stopped going to church for a little while just because, I don't know, I was 22 and I just felt like I didn't really need to go to church. But I went to church that Sunday and I sat down in the pew and the music started And I started to cry. Just the tears about what I was sad about started to flow, and I felt a little embarrassed, and I wasn't sure what to do because I didn't know anybody in the church. But before I knew it, there was a tap on my shoulder, and this sweet woman sitting behind me handed me a Kleenex. And I wiped my eyes and blew my nose and said, Thank you. I'm a little embarrassed. And she said, you know what? Church is exactly the place we need to cry. It's okay to cry in church. It's also okay to laugh in church. It's okay to bring all of our feelings with us into church. Because there are people here who love us. Even this woman who I didn't know gave me a Kleenex and took care of me and showed me God's love. So I want you to know that church is a place, and church are the people who will love you no matter what, and whether you're laughing or crying, there's no better place to laugh and to cry and to be all that you are than in church. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for church that's not just this building, but is your people, and that we've been able to be the church and to be part of the church even this year when we haven't been able to come in the building. We thank you so much that because of the people of your church and because of your love, it's okay to cry, and it's okay to laugh, and it's okay to be who we really are. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm just wondering how many of you have ever cried in church. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Happened to me last week, actually. Sitting over there. And for those of you who were worshiping at home, you got to see the children's choir. You got to see all their faces on a recording from Zoom as they sang. For those of us who were in the sanctuary, we didn't get the visual, but we did get to hear them. Their song was, was played in the sanctuary so we could hear their sweet voices as we worshiped together. And that was the moment for me. And in those tears were mixed together all sorts of emotions. I was feeling so grateful and so happy to hear those sweet voices singing about Jesus' hands. And at the same time, it just came upon me this deep grief that I had not heard the voices of children ringing in this space for a year. And so the tears came. Tears mixed of, with joy and gratitude and grief and all the things. And I brought those tears with me this week as I dove into this eighth chapter of Nehemiah and read about the tears of the Israelites. Now, Nehemiah is a book of the Bible that I don't spend much time with. I don't even know that I've ever preached from the book of Nehemiah. So it might be helpful for all of us just to know some of what's happening in the history of the Israelite people at this moment in the eighth chapter of Nehemiah. The kingdom of Israel was ruled by King David and then by King Solomon, and then it split into two, became the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. But for generations it was an autonomous two nations living side by side. But in the year five -- oh gosh, I'm going to get it wrong. 586. 586. thank you, Brandon. 586. The Babylonian army laid siege to Jerusalem. They tore down the wall of Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple and burned it to the ground. They took many of the citizens of Jerusalem and beyond into captivity and slavery in Babylon. The people were separated from one another. They were separated from their house of worship. They were separated from their homeland for more than two generations. And they didn't have Zoom and they didn't have live stream to help them feel connected to one another and to help them worship together. They were totally devastated, and they didn't know when or if it would ever come to an end. But then, 50 years later, the Persians had taken over the Babylonian Empire, and King Cyrus the Great became the leader of the Persian Empire, and he issued a decree that the Jewish people could return to their homeland, and they could rebuild the wall and reconstruct the temple. And so the books of Ezra and Nehemiah tell the story of that rebuilding and reconstruction. And in chapter 8 of Nehemiah, this is the moment when the temple has been rebuilt, the wall has been rebuilt, and for the very first time, all the people, women, men, children, are gathered together to worship and to hear for the first time in 50 years the word of God's law read aloud. And the priest, Ezra, reads for six hours straight. I'm not going to do that to you. But even after six hours, the people are still leaning in. So hungry and thirsty are they for the word of God. And they begin to weep. And they weep. And they weep. The story doesn't really say what's behind their tears but I think there are many emotions contained in their tears. There's grief. Grief for the decades that they have been separated from one another. Grief over the people who are no longer with them and could not experience the restoration to the homeland and to the temple. There is grief and sorrow as they hear the word of God read aloud and it dawns on them how far they have wandered from the ways of God and the commandments of God. There is also joy and gratitude as they look back over the time of exile and realize that God never forsook them, that God was always with them, that there were prophets all along the way proclaiming to them words of comfort and hope and promise, tears of gratitude that they have come back home and God is with them and they have their temple again and they have their city again. That's what I imagine is contained in all of their tears. And that's why I think this particular moment from Israel's history is so powerful for us in our moment. Because we have experienced a year that has in some ways felt like exile, We have been on this journey and and are beginning to reemerge and are beginning to gather again. And and if you're like me, we're discovering these tears that are in us that are a mixture of all sorts of things. We experience the grief of having been separated, the grief of having lost some along the way who won't be with us as we become reconstructed and rebuilt. And yet there is joy and anticipation and celebration and gratitude that things are beginning to move forward and open up again. Gratitude that we can look back and see how God has been with us every step of the way and not once has forsaken us. This has been a year when I have shed tears and many of us have shed tears As we have gone through the gut-wrenching process of reckoning with our country's history of racism and the way that has been played out in the lives of my family and the lives of our institutions and and coming to terms with that grief. I was walking through the cloister garden the other day and and saw our, our beautiful cornerstone of our church that is such an important part of our history and tells so much of our story. And yet, on that cornerstone, it says West End Methodist Episcopal Church South. It's a sign that at that moment in our history, our church was divided. And the South pulled away from the North because we believed that bishops and clergy should be able to enslave people. And that's in the foundation of the Methodist church in this area. And so just as the tears of the people of Israel dropped onto the stones of the foundation of the temple, so our tears over our past and how, how we have time and again wandered from the ways of God are incorporated into our story. They're part of our story and we grieve them and we allow the tears to flow because we know and trust and believe that God, only God, can take those tears and redeem them, can meld them into the foundation of our experiences and build a new thing and bring new life and restoration. The experience of the Israelites in exile and in wandering from God and then returning made them a more grateful people, a more faithful people. They were ready to recommit themselves to the covenant with God, made them a people of deep compassion because their tears were part of their story. And the same is true for us, I believe. Whatever the tears are that we bring into this moment in our history, the tears over our separation this past year, the tears as we wrestle with our long past, the tears that each one of us has experienced across this year, whatever our losses may have been individually, we bring them with us into worship. And then we lean into this story And we hear the word of Ezra and Nehemiah and the leaders of the people as they say, do not weep. for Today is the Lord's day. Today is a day of joy and new beginning. Today our lives are being reconstructed and rebuilt through the power and presence and forgiveness of God. This is a day of joy. There's an invitation in this story to let the tears flow and then allow God to heal us from them and then walk fully and freely into God's joy. And did you hear the beautiful thing that Ezra and Nehemiah said to the people? Go and eat the fat and drink the wine and share what you have with those who don't have enough. It's time to feast. And so... Whatever tears you bring with you today, God invites you to let them flow. They're welcome here. And then to lift up your heads into the sunshine and receive God's love and forgiveness and a new beginning. And to come to the table and have a feast because this is the day of joy in the Lord.